Hey everybody, and welcome back to the San Pedro FIFA League Podcast. I'm George Tello, and on today's podcast, we're going to get into a lot of different things. Um, I'm going to talk about, excuse me, a lot of the transfers that took place over the last course of, uh, I believe, the last couple weeks. Uh, We do have a unique opportunity, though, to discuss something with Daniel O'Brien, who I have on the podcast later. Uh, We talked for about 20 minutes, so I hope you guys are ready for that. This is the second time Daniel's joined me on the podcast, so I look forward to that. Um... I also have the top six players you need to watch out for in D2 this coming season that you already don't know. Some of you will recognize the names, but for the most part, these are the six guys I think that will make an impact outside of the obvious. Um, I guess some of them are a little bit obvious, but anyways, we'll get into that. We are going to start today's show, of course, with a ton of the transfers. And of course, there is a few big moves that did take place. Over the last couple weeks, we will get into that after we break the intro. Um, But, guys, I look forward to this season. Next week, as I can announce ahead of time, will be the D2 preview episode. Um, We are going to discuss many different things. I have a lot of different opinions from a lot of different managers. I've kind of dived in a bit to kind of kind of just kind of roll through people's uh, rosters and what they can do. Expectations are very, very short at times and very, very open at times. Uh, I think early on, everyone's going to feel like they have a chance, but D2, as competitive as it's become, I think the window for opportunity is going to be a lot smaller this year, whereas last year, we only had 12 teams and the competition was very scarce, uh, whereas now... I think there is a quality and depth to the to the competition down there in D2, but it also adds to the FA Cup and the VT Cup when we get to those things. Like I said, uh, I will start the episode talking about the transfers. I'll get you over to Dob, and then I'll get you into my six interesting players to watch out for in D2. All right, let's get to the episode. I hope you guys enjoy. All right, so let's get this whole segment going with the conversation of surrounding Alex Awobi and his availability, um, not just within this window, but the fact that Arsenal are now moving on from the uh, very artistic Nigerian uh, player. And listen, he's been uh, very removable, I think, in a lot of rosters in real life. I think um, Arsenal felt, and I, I am an Arsenal fan myself, getting $30 million for this guy to sell him to Everton in real life had to be a bargain of some sort. My... Inquisition, I guess, for Alex Awobi is what's next as a real player. And then I guess it kind of turns into something more when you look at the fact of the matter is, is that he wasn't really well used in the Arsenal system. He goes to Houston on loan. He has an impact, but it looks like now Arsenal are done with him. And I don't know about many people, but I feel like he's getting the short end of the stick. And I'm not trying to be harsh to to Artie. Uh, I know he's got his own plans and Listen, I I fully believe Artie knows what he's doing when it comes to this specific situation in which trying to find a home for this player. Artie's gone in a different direction. I mean, I'm not going to harp Artie for wanting to move the player. $15 seems like the decent price to go and sell him for. Um, And I I know he hasn't really grown within Everton's system, and honestly, he's basically a backup at this point. 
He is not going to play. He doesn't really have that breakaway pace, and really, FIFA kind of got him back in the last update. I'm looking at the September 23rd update, and even going into FIFA 21, I think a lot of people are going to feel like, okay, Alex Iwobi is not there yet. He's a 77 overall. He's uh, an 81 potential, and honestly, he's really pretty much looking up to Richarlson and company, and honestly, Hamas Rodriguez joining really killed the fact that he might have an opportunity to play in the midfield. I don't think this is one of the things where Alex Iwobi looks around and says, okay, I'm going to quit. i never seen Alex Iwobi as that kind of player, but he's a guy who fills out a squad more than he is a guy who's going to lead the starting 11, and that's, I guess, the issue that Artie's also having with him. He's not growing. Four-star skill moves, three-star weak foot. I, if I'm a D2 team and I have the cash flow to make this happen... I think I go out and get this guy. I th this is a smart move if you need him temporarily. He's only 24. Um, so, I mean, he's still got time to become a very solid player. Uh, to me, and I and you could, I guess you could hold me down for this, I actually think he's a little bit faster than FIFA rates him. Um, he definitely isn't a guy who's going to finish or cross the ball extraordinarily well. His vision is pretty solid. He is a guy who likes to dribble past players, and we've seen in the past him really do that, whether it was with Arsenal or now Everton. He's been able to have that um, kind of that finagling ability to get away from defenders. Arsenal replaced him, though, with Saka very, very quickly on, as far as youth talent and who was going to take that place. Pepe also came in. So you could see why Arsenal got rid of him. But then he goes to Everton, and now Everton are just kind of looking like, hey, you know, you're not going to start in a team, and even Theo Walcott's played a little bit better. I wouldn't say he's played great, but he's played a little bit better in the limited opportunities he got after, you know, in, in Project Restart. That's my biggest problem with Iwobi. He kind of did have a chance with Arch, uh, Ancelotti uh, to kind of prove that he was going to be a starter. If we're just looking at it from real-life aspect, and how, in a sense, we kind of emulate the fantasy football aspect. I know some of us are playing in leagues right now, so maybe this makes sense to you. you really hoping what the guy does in real life affects his so FIFA rating and often does very well. FIFA sometimes in EA Sports are hit and miss, but for the most part, they're on. 77 overall rating for Alex Iwobi is pretty accurate. 81 potential, pretty accurate. So, yes, you're not going to get someone with high potential, but maybe you're looking out to fill the squad, and maybe uh, that's where you're going. I think his work rate in the attack is super high. Yeah, it is. Um, and he's got a medium defensive work rate, so he's going to work back for you. The issue is he doesn't have the stamina to last a whole game. So obviously you have to, he's going to be a player you've got to really fit in there tactically. Like I said, he could play Cam. He could, I guess, be like an emergency striker, but he's more of a winger uh, in this update. So... I find it interesting. Do I think Arsenal's going to be able to move him? No. I think, unfortunately for Artie, this is the end of the line for Iwobi unless he goes to a D2 team in the future. Right? I mean, or a D1 team that's very desperate and just has a cavalcade of injuries. I, I don't see this young man going anywhere else. And it's unfortunate because everywhere he's played, whether he's come off the bench or whether he's started in our FIFA league, guys like playing with him in-game because his dribbling is an, is an 80. And he's got some decent agility. So he's going to get it in the midfield. Is he like a guy that, like a Bernardo Silva? No. You know, he's not quite that level. He's a few, a few pegs down from that. So I would be cautious on picking up this player. But I understand why Artie's trying to move on at the same time. 
that's not to say that someone else will not have the funds or the desire to go out and get Alex Wobie, but I just think, um, unfortunately for Artie and unfortunately for this Arsenal squad, Alex Wobie's going to be there. Uh, and whether he can move him on in the future, it's going to be all up to how Artie presents this player to other managers and obviously the desperation level, I think, of other managers as well, because I don't think Alex Iwobi has any type of growth unless his inform in real life uh, improves. And what, from what we've seen, he's going to have very limited opportunities, especially with Everton scoring so many goals with the current lineup in which they have set now. So the second uh, move, I guess, that we could kind of cut to now is Atlanta getting Den Docker uh, from this Arsenal team for 10 million. Uh, this is, this isn't a bad move for Atlanta. Uh, I was in talks with, uh, with Mike myself over a player about Harry Wilson and Harvey Barnes. And he, uh, honestly, Harvey Barnes got a really nice upgrade coming his way. And, uh, he did score and have an assist the other day, um, in the Premier League. So, Listen, this fits the needs. A guy who has incredible stamina, 86. He's part of the Wolverhampton, you know, a team, a team that's really good. And listen, Den Docker can be versatile on that back line. He's a decent right back. I wouldn't play him there. Um, he's got decent acceleration, but the sprint speed 73. And whether he's a center back or you need him as a defensive mid, he really does fit the billing as a guy who's going to enforce a lot of action at the back. He's going to keep the ball. I, I, I think that's one of the r- rare things about a guy like uh, Den Docker is that he actually is good on the ball. So whether Mike wants to deploy him as a center back or as a defensive mid, you know you're going to get a ball, you know, a, a guy who can handle the ball. And I think as a center defender, which everyone kind of needs right now, having a guy that's an international player, even though he's on the bench right now, and you also have a guy who's on a Premier League team that's on the rise. Even though he is in and out of rotation, it's still a good thing to have because he's still very young. Um, I think, believe he's just turned 27 or 25. So he's still relatively young, and he's going to be able to keep that rotation out for Mike as well. And, you know, somebody goes down in the midfield, maybe he can push him up the field a little bit and play a little bit more defensive. Atlanta United need all the help they can get. Because obviously, like I talked about in the intro, D2 just got a lot tougher. And having a game where you take a, a, a week off, you know, where you look at the schedule and you're like, okay, I cannot mess up this month. Having a guy with an engine trait, a weak foot of four stars, you have the work rates at high and high. I, this is exactly what he needs. He needed a guy like this that's going to put in the work, do the dirty job on the team. More guys need people like this. And uh, it's becoming very, very increasingly important to have those guys like Ghana Gay going to AC Milan in retrospect for Rodri and, and that whole deal. You kind of need those guys that are going to be nasty players in the midfield that are going to put their foot into a tackle, maybe pick up some cards. The way the new FIFA 21, by the way, I watched some gameplay. The physical players and the finesse players, those 50-50 balls are very important now. Guys like Neymar... Guys that are very finesse on the ball are not going to stand up on a 50-50 ball. They're not going to be able to just kind of joust past you anymore. But they make a good run or they knock the ball past you. Guys are going to get, they're going to get burned. And as they would in real life. And having a guy with really high-end stamina 
and really high-end ability to defend is going to play a factor. And the fact that, you know, Den Docker kind of has both of those qualities is a good move for Mike. Don't get me wrong, like, I would have loved to pocket the 10 mil myself, but, you know, not being selfish, I think this is a good move overall. Atlanta are obviously going to have to prove some more um, important qualities as we go forward, but it's going to be very important that they can handle it um, on the defensive side of the ball first before we start talking about guys like Mason Mount and Maximiliano Gomez. So I think this is a simple deal. It makes you happy. It is what it is. Another deal is El Sharawe, I haven't had to say his name in a while, going from Bayern to Young Boys on a $3 million half-season loan. Uh, the teams will reconvene uh, in the half-season or in the mid-season window, and Young Boys have a chance to extend that loan to a full season for two extra million. Luis is doing some really good business this window. Um, he also did loan me Tammy Abraham for $2 million. Another deal that's going to work out in the end for him because he's going to get him back for half the season. Um, and personally, just for me, on the standpoint of that deal, I don't have a striker in mind that I want. So loaning strikers at the moment kind of fits my billing. I'm kind of a team literally coming from the championship to the Premier League and having to just kind of figure things out as I go. It's very, very scary, <laughs> honestly, because you're going to have to figure things out. Um, but I don't know. Sometimes uh, things work themselves out. As, as far as for Bayern, getting Serge Gnabry this offseason uh, is a big bonus. So being able to be flexible and move some guys around hasn't scared Luis going into D2 or going back down into D2. Um, talking to him, not about this deal, but in general, he feels very happy about what he's done uh, in the window up until this point. So now this deal just adds on. That's a potential $5 million loan right there for a full season. And it has the chance to be pretty spectacular. Um, I really like this deal, so uh, good for them. And obviously, Ronnie's seeing the need to add a winger or an attacker of some sort. And whether he comes off the bench or is starting on either wing, El Shadawe is a very fantastic player uh, in the attack. I don't expect him to kind of come up and down the field. Uh, he's really kind of lost that side to his game, but I, he's still fast. He's still very slippery and defenders could have a problem with him, especially when he cuts in on that right foot. Speaking of two players that are going to cause an immense amount of issues for other teams, we are looking at the Aurier deal to Lyon for 49 and a half million and Lucas Hernandez joining Real Madrid for 45 million. These are both free agents. If you're just joining our league, you can buy from the market. Guys that are not on teams, you must go to transfermarket.com. You have to switch over to euros. That is the base in which we use not pounds, not dollars, not yen, uh, uh, euros. So I suggest the Italian or the French site uh, of some sort or even the Belgium site, one of those. They will decipher the euros for you. However... Let's start with Lucas Hernandez, a guy who could play left back, a guy who could play center back. I've been genuinely curious about this deal since I seen him go after it. I like every bit of it, just just for the record. You know, he's an international player. Uh, he's, you know, even though he starts out on the left for France, he does play sometimes at center back. You're talking to someone who watches the French games. Um, so... I, I, I absolutely love this guy. You know, for Bayern, yeah, he, he's in and out of the team. But let's talk about players with the standing tackle factor of an 86. 
interceptions at 83. And I talked about this in a previous podcast. Defensive awareness is going to become a thing. 81 defensive awareness and 86 aggression could make for really dangerous things. Oh, not to mention 85 reactions. And the guy has a power header trait. Now, the one worry, he's injury prone. And from what I've seen in the new title wave to FIFA 20, and some people are believing that it could leak over to FIFA 21, is on those 50-50 balls is where a, a great many injuries are going to come. So those balls that you don't think you're going to get to, some guys may lay off in the future. But from what I've seen and some people have said about the game, injuries are an influx on those 50-50 balls. Where's Lucas Hernandez going to find himself? Going in for 50-50 tackles. Probably a majority of the time he's going to be getting into the action. Yes, he could very much hurt other players. That's very true. I will not deny that. He obviously has above average sprint and acceleration and agility for a guy who's going to be playing at probably center back now that Upamakano has gone to Torino. I like this deal overall. He didn't pay over $50 million for a guy, uh, even though he sent, what was it, $60 million the other way, or was brought in $60 million for Upamakano. So I'm not mad at this deal. I think Real Madrid need to improve after last season. They were a little slow out of the gate, and they really were kind of scrambling come the end of the season to survive. And any time that happens, any time something like that happens, you have to learn your lesson. Manchester United beat out Liverpool for Andy Robertson. And I know Joey oh, Mancusi is not going to be happy that I keep bringing that up, but that's a big deal for, for, Liverpool, uh, for Liverpool to lose and for Manchester United to gain. Liverpool have the versatility. They can get over it. Would they be better off with him? Yes. Manchester United are desperate for defenders. I don't, I don't care what Piri says. Oh, I got this guy. No, he's desperate for defenders. If you watch any of his games last season or saw any of the stats he posted, he gets in trouble and it compounds. It does not alleviate easily. There's no outlet on that team as much as people think there is, even with the good midfielders. Because we saw in FIFA 20, a lot of the pressing went through the middle. It was not out on the wings like it was in previous FIFA. So... Those midfielders weren't as valuable to hit on the counterattack as much as people thought. But Timo Werner, now that's a different story. Lucas Hernandez is a guy that can also mark up with some of the best strikers we have in D1. And he could be a guy that not many are going to be able to have a fun game against. He offers very little going forward. So putting him on in the, into the left-back position seems arbitrary. But anything's possible. Sometimes you have injuries. And uh, you're going to have to be flexible with that, of course. Now to the Aurier deal, who I think is one of the best young midfielders in the world. He's creative. Uh, I think he does almost everything right every time he plays. He just It just doesn't seem like he makes mistakes. It, it seems like one of those signings that a top team would make, and Lyon really lived up to the billing. 81 overall rating, 89 potential. He comes with 85 dribbling, 83 acceleration to just some of the things that pop off. Besides, of course, the uh, 85 ball control and, of course, the 84 vision. The players he is compared to on the Sofifa site is David Silva, Golo Conte, Luis Umberto, Pizzi. I'm sorry. Those guys all do very different things in the midfield. Not to mention he's also compared to Trent and Conte. Or I said Conte and Jordi Alba, excuse me. 
Guys that are fullbacks that create plays. This is a very technical player. He has the flare trait, outside foot, and the finesse shot. And according to Sofifa, his best position is the center attacking mid, which, I don't know about you, might be currently held up by Messi. But from reports, Lyon have supposedly been working out formations to put Messi on the outside. Now, I don't know how true that is. They might go back to a 4-3-3, a 4-2-3-1. Ari are playing a little bit deeper or playing as the cam. We have yet to see because Raul Jimenez also joined this Leon team. A lot of attacking, dominating ball players have come into this team. And yes, I know what you're thinking. Raul Jimenez, he's just a goal scorer. Go watch his games in real life and tell me that this guy doesn't know what he's doing when he has the ball at his feet and he has an opportunity to give the ball up to a teammate. Just because he still ends up finishing that work of play doesn't take away from how good Jimenez has been. But Aurier adds a different element. And I'm not saying this, and I'm not being biased because, uh, you know, he's French or anything like that. Listen, four-star skill moves. Three-star weak foot is a bit of a worry, but he's got a high work rate going forward. Medium dropping back, but that's why you have Danny Ceballos. That's why you got Gundogan. You know what I mean? I'm not worried about it. I, I I just I think that this team will figure those things out, and at times they've worried about having to kind of protect that back four at times. I I think Leon finally might just have so much offense they don't really need to worry about defending as often as they'd like to think. Because getting a guy like Aurier really will scare teams away from having to just focus two, three guys on Messi. You will have to cover this guy and I could already see it in my head on a counterattack. Aurier plays one pass in to Messi. Messi just looks across the field. He's got Mane running down. Or Jimenez running down. I mean, the ball gets to Mane. Mane can look up to them. So that front four, potentially, is looking like one of the best front fours and really matches up well with Club America and matches up well with Chelsea. And depending how this new game plays, you're going to need to have an elite four attacking unit. And whether it's perfect or not, we'll see. Guys have had trouble scoring, even with their talented players. But defensively, it's going to alleviate some of that pressure. And I think Aurier is one of the better signings that we've seen in the window. You know, I I think guys bringing in the young center mids and trusting them at 22 years of age is going to be important. But I also think at the same time, um, you can't look past the fact that he is one of the most sought talents right now in the world, let alone just the French League. So we'll see how Santi sets his squad up with these signings joining in. And I look forward to Real Madrid getting what he's got going on. Thank you guys for listening to this part. This is all the transfers. We're going to take a break. When we come back, I have Daniel Bryan for you guys. This is the second time on the show. He's the Roma manager. We're going to talk a little bit about Roma and their real-life sense what happened with the whole Diawara thing, and then we're going to get into, of course, his D2 status and where he thinks he sits and who will stand out for him in the coming season. We'll be right back. Hey, everybody, and welcome back. Today, I finally got the man sober. What's up, Daniel? Say hello to everybody. Hey, how's, how's everyone doing today? Um, yeah, I'm sober, which is weird because saying it's one o'clock on a Wednesday, but, uh, no, no, things will change. Galaxy play tonight. So that'll probably lead to a few drinks depending on how the game goes. But yeah, you know, just taking a little work break to talk some soccer. Oh, I love it. Let's start in the real world of soccer first. Let's start with Roma. 
what in the <laughs> hell was that forfeit about? Like, I, I went back and I was looking <laughs> at it too. How does someone miss that? Like, it is you- the perfect way to start a season after a very <laughs> positive offseason, shortened offseason, where we saw clubs sold to a guy with a lot of money who's going to push forward our stadium. Uh, we just forgot that uh, birthdays exist. And Diarwa, who is a um, solid player for sale for $15 million if everyone wants him. But, um, <laughs> yeah, no, he was he turned 23 last month, and no one, he, no one told Roma. Apparently. And <laughs> technically, in Syria, uh, you have to put an under-22 listing in order to um, be exempt for international spots on the roster. Um, they misclassified that. So it's basically fielded uh, an ineligible player and got lost, lost points because of it. Um, watching the game this weekend, though, we didn't deserve the tie. We played like shit. We played reserve against a shitty Hellas Verona side. But now we start the season off on the back foot, zero points, and I can look forward to next year because now we probably won't catch Juventus. Well, I mean, listen, Juventus, uh, Inter, I mean, even Milan are starting to add some players again like they were back, you know, when we were growing up. They're looking like a better team. What what happened to Roma over the course of the years? Is is this team trending upwards still with the new ownership or what is going to happen? I, I really don't know. I mean, it starts with the injury history, um, okay. seeing players, players like Forenzi go down with ACL tears is never a good thing. No. And even in our midfield with, um, with back in the, even the days when we had Pjanic, like um, it's never, it's never a good sign. When we had Marcus Stroman, he got hurt. We have Zanolo, who apparently is still out on loan for 2.5 million. He tore his ACL. It's like, it's just never Verat last year tore his ACL. It's, I mean, I don't, I just don't know what it is. Like, it's just unlucky. Is it just God spiting me for all my flaws? <laughs> um, but also it's just hard to, it's hard to compete when we're selling our best players. Um, Bleacher Report was rotating out a um, picture showing the Roma's best sold starting 11 mm. and it could win the Champions League. You had you had Salah, you had Pjanic, you had Marquinhos. Like, if, let me see if I could pull up um, the actual full um, starting 11 because looking at this. Um, just speaking here. into the land of mediocrity before you read out that starting 11. Arsenal do the same thing. Like it, it's, I wish I could say we're not in the same boat, but we do the same thing. We let our players walk sometimes, even for free, which is even worse. Um, but <laughs> some of the starting 11s we could be having to, if we were ran better, yeah, would honestly be nice to see. But yeah, so I have this well right here. I have this up right here. So it's like how Roma could line up if they haven't sold anyone. And for, I don't know why, it's like a few things that I would switch out, but this is what they have listed. From back to front, you have Allison, back three of Manolas, Marquinhos, and Rudiger. That'd be you solid. And Pellegrini, Paredes, Zanolo, and then mm-hmm. Pedro, Jekko, and Sala up front. And mm-hmm. that's like not even that's not even saying about like uh, Nine Golan or even like someone like El Sharari or Emerson that are also very solid. I mean, Samuel Umtiti played for Roma uh, before he tore his ACL a million times. So it's we have we sell our best players, which is what Roma really needs to do. We need to find an identity. Are we 
a selling club that if we get Champions League every other year, is that, that going to be the way we're going to be run? Or we're we actually going to try to compete with the Northern Giants of the Milans and the Juves? Because it's, I mean, it's hard. It's like last year, I thought Roma had a very good team, few injuries, but I was very positive. And then, boom, before the transfer window ends, Ronaldo signs at the Juve, and you're just like, well, fuck. <laughs> That's like Ronaldo going to Chris in, in the gaming league. You're like, well, like, what? Okay, I guess. Yeah, it's like it's frustrating, but it's year two with our coach. And I think that once we get, I mean, the shortened off season is going to be a big hindrance in the beginning. But I think once October hits, we're going to be playing very well. And I think we can, we're going to be top four and I think we can challenge um, or at least put pressure on, close the gap within 10 points between the champions. So oh, no. I don't think I wish the best for Roma. Obviously, yeah. I, I wouldn't mind seeing another team besides Juventus or Inter kind of compete this season. I don't know if that's going to happen in this. I don't division, think, the way think it's that um, it'll be tough. I mean, you, because I don't think Lazio and Atalanta can do Europe and Syria and compete in both with the way their teams are built. Um, I maybe either they did not bring in enough, in my opinion, especially Lazio, which a team that last year we saw get injured really badly, and they just didn't do anything about it. Like they legitimately said, "We're not gonna make any transfers," and then they're not moving on a uh, SMS. So it's like uh, I don't get it. Yeah, I don't know where that. Yeah. But let's move on. Yeah, yeah, and we talked about. Uh, in previous podcasts, like the market being terrible, I shared with you this crazy list. And if guys want to go look at it, go on the transfer market page on Instagram. Uh, we are not sponsored by them, uh, but it had the most expensive right backs in the world right now. I shared it with you, Dob. If you want to bring it up, can yeah, you, I have it up right now. Out of out of those ten guys, which one is the actual best? Like we take out the value, and this is coming on the back of Nelson Semedo signing with Wolves. And having another Portuguese player there. Uh, but, like, I mean. I mean, the first thing that stands out to me is the fact that they're all Premier League teams, which shows that the Premier League needs to get their act together and stop overpaying for players and not getting bullied. Because these other clubs and other German clubs in Germany and Rome are just basically like, oh, you want to go to Premier League? Let me just double our asking price. So I think that has a big, um, big to do for this list. But. As of right now, I think form-wise, hype-wise, I think it's either have to go – at the time, Kyle Walker going over to Man City three years ago, or you have to go with Juan Bissaka last year going over the Man U um, yeah. in terms of the hype and the way that they both played in their first seasons. Well, mm-hmm. we're talking about the first season, but Walker has been a steady, um, steady back for them for the last three years. And now that they have Cancelo and Danilo, it's like you have a – Solid. Well, Danilo didn't really pan out, but now they have Cancelo coming over. Um, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think Aria kind of uh, dropped off. Zappa Costa came to Roma, tore his ACL. Like, <laughs> yeah. Tear and, and, yeah, to tell the truth, um, I'm not really familiar with the bottom two on the list. Um, Castagna uh, yeah. went to uh, Leicester just this season. He actually scored in his debut. And Diego Dalla is a Portuguese player. He could play both fullback positions, but yeah. he's he's been found out a little bit. That's why Juan Basaka had to come in. But that just shows okay. you how crazy – you like you made a good point. The Premier League is overplaying for players where I, I think as for guys in the, in the gaming league, when we see that, 
sometimes it doesn't register that the merchandising and all that other stuff is a factor and where their market value. Sometimes when you get a Premier League player, you are uh, you are paying up uh, for yeah. I mean, they definitely try to market themselves as the Premier League. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah. Um, joke, joke, haha. But they're the best league in the world, which is pretty funny because they have the most money, but they're nowhere close to being the best in the world, right? I think as of right now, it's definitely I think the hardest competition due to the style of the English game. Mm-hmm. But you know, they get exposed in Europe time and time again. So until they can get consistency in European competitions, I don't think that they can be considered the best. But I think Nelson, I think uh, Semedo will be a good fit in Rome, or not in Rome, sorry, in, in uh, Wolverhampton, just uh, with the por- Portuguese connections and the fact that um, he's going to be allowed to play in that wing back position and fly up uh, since they play five at the back. Um, and also the fact that I know this much about Wolverhampton shows you I'm glad I moved out of Washburn's place. Um, <laughs> so, but, uh, by the way, someone else in my house decided to turn on their Bluetooth, and I'm using my Bluetooth headphones. Anyways, um, all right, let's get down to the nitty gritty. What people want to know, you're back. We talked a little bit about this, but now you're a focused brain. Things have changed since we last talked. Yeah, I actually have guys who are good. It's weird. <laughs> you actually moved on a majority of the players that you had focused on wanting to move in the first place. We talked about it privately uh, between texts. We were talking about, Oh, I I need to move this guy. And you were adamant. Is this a semi-finished product or is this, is this, there's still more to come from you? Well, I have, I think for, I'm a finished product for the, um, for the time being in terms of this transfer, this transfer window. Um, I have a few, few of the poor people out there cannot they're asking for loans and i'm not a big i like bringing loans in but i don't like loaning out players just because i don't see the value in it three million dollars i'd rather just keep the guy on my team and just have that depth but um i have some moves lined up for the mid-season transfer window which i think will really um improve my team hopefully i'm fighting for that top spot um, in the league at that time, or at least in the top five to get to be in that promotion battle. But I, I'm happy with the moves I made. I mean, I haven't, who will be probably another 84 again. He had a good season last year, but wasn't great to go up, but he's still one of the best center backs in the game. Jamie Vardy coming in as an 86. Um, I have an 81 overall, Fabio Cragulella, who scored fifth double digit goals last year. Morgan Samson, who's going to, probably go on to a bigger club which will drive his value up i could see him being an 81 82 next year and even from you the montiel the fullback i got um loaned out for from you it's he's gonna have a solid year he's and i think my big my big one was uh Penense from wolves he is a quick dude he is killing it he right now i wish he can enter the weight room his 37th strength it doesn't really fit my style but I, I'm learning to um, counter that um, by not running directly at defenders. Um, usually, if you go around them, it'll be a lot better. Um, I have, and then I also my back line. I have going to have three center backs above the 80 overall. One of them not by choice, but I got played. Um, guy got played by a new guy in the league, which respect. Um, beat me on my own game, but. Um, yeah, I'm excited to see what my team can do. Um, I think that playing against, um, especially I've been playing 
Washburn last Friday. Like I should have beat him twice, gave up two goals in the 90th because I was drunk and then beat him <laughs> once. But um, yeah, no, I'm excited to see what, what the season has to um, has to offer until I'm three games in. I want to fucking kill myself again. Well, so, I mean, just so you know, I had, I did, I did a list for this podcast that you're also going to be on. Um, it's the six players to watch in D2 uh, that maybe people aren't going to pay attention to as much uh, as some of the big oh, names. Like, make sure. Be so so Jamie, Jamie Vardy made my list. I know guys will forget, I think, sometimes that he joined your squad, but he's going to make a big impact. I, I just think him being an 86 overall helps, but the fact that the guy is literally lightning uh, doesn't hurt at all. Yeah, um, as long as FIFA doesn't do that thing where like automatically you turn 34 – or 33, and you automatically get a pace downgrade, even though you're still running at a million miles an hour. FIFA has a bad um, habit of doing that. But I don't think, like, watching him in the Leicester's early games, he still has it, and there's no way he shouldn't be 88, 89 pace. Oh, yeah, no, he's still got it. And his finishing is still very top-notch, and I'm not defending him as a Leicester City player. Yeah, going from from Gelatine and Kwame to him is very nice. Yeah, and so we talked about the back line. Um, obviously, Manolas coming in. What pairing are you looking to have back there? Are we still going with the three, or are we going with a back um, four? Right now, I'm going with a back four. Um, I'm pairing him, as of right now, with Miranda, who is predicted to be an 82 in the new FIFA. He's doing mm-hmm. a good job over there in China, and he still has it. Um, his, pace, his pace might be sus- uh, suspect, but, but I think it would still be around in the high 50s, low 60s. So with Monolos covering, I think that I don't think he'll be exposed too much. Um, and then also with um, – I'm playing with a true CDM that's going to act like a stopper in the, right in front of the center back. So I think that defensively uh, the pace horrors of the league won't be able to take advantage of that. Um, and they're actually competent defenders. Other, um, to, like even though the top Soba had a lot of potential, you just can't go in with someone who's like a 76 – pair him with a 75 and like think you're going to get results. You're telling me I have that in D1. Um, <laughs> it's a little sketchy. I'm not going to lie. Uh, but here's the thing. We talked about you wanting to be galaxy and all this other hy- mm. hysteria that went down with that. What was your reaction when you saw not just the incredibly funny video of the intro video for Jake, but the fact that he got to be Galaxy? I, I knew it was going to happen. Just so, like, you know, I, so, didn't, I couldn't tell you. I purposely was not allowed to tell you. So I, I knew it was Jake, coming. So here's the situation. It's around 10 o'clock at night. I'm ham- I'm absolutely hammered, Right. Um, playing, I mean, Washburn and I was playing and Washburn goes, oh, you got to see this video. It's Jake's Jake. I knew Jake was going to be back in the league. He told me that was going to be Newcastle. So I'm like, oh, this is a funny video. Like, ha ha. And then it hit. And it took <laughs> me so much to not check my controller across the room that it was just one of the, I was like, what the fuck? He was the galaxy. I was like, what the fuck, man? Like I asked, <laughs> I asked to be the galaxy in my return. I was told to fuck off. So and then was like, oh, Jake had permission. It's like from who? Danny Burkhardt from the grave, and like he's in Arizona. <laughs> but no, he, he went out. He got the permission. Danny, Danny's a, a legend, uh, league legend. Wish him the best. But uh, 
No, it's going to suck playing a game every year, two games every year against the Galaxy and uh, having to beat beat them. Like I, I don't like it when the Galaxy lose, but this is, uh, this is what's going to happen, and I'm going to make sure that I shove my fucking fist down his throat every single time we play just to, to know who the real, real Galaxy are. I like that. I like that. Dog, before I get you out of here, I have the preview show coming up, not this podcast you're on, but the following one for D2. Where do I put this Roma team? Where, what happened? What's, I know things have changed. So, do you change your expectations um, now that they have my gotten more? Expectations is so from a totally non-biased perspective. I think I am better than eighty-five percent of the people in D two. I think my team is better than seventy-five percent of the people in D two. And my only problem is that I struggle with consistency. How many of those games am I going to be playing someone like Michael where I'm going to tie 0-0 with 30 shots? How many of those games are going to happen? And if I could, they're, they're going to happen. I, I already know it's FIFA. But if I can limit those games to one to two games throughout the whole year, put me in the top three. If not, they'll be fighting for the top five. And I think that – and then on the other side, if I lose three in a row, I could probably totally collapse in – like not win a game for the rest of the year. So, but I see that not really happening because I'm actually playing a lot more, playing a lot more now and I'm getting a good, good feel for my team. So yeah, I think a top five finish is, is reasonable and top three, if I can really, really get some um, juices flowing with these guys. All right. So perfect. You believe in yourself essentially is what I like to hear. Thank you, oh, Daniel, for coming on, man. I wish you luck. I'll let you – I mean, you'll hear now, not this podcast with you that I did, but the following one. You'll know how I feel about your squad because I've been sitting there, especially Just when I have these overnight shifts, breaking the squads down, and it's so tiring to keep typing up names in SoFIFA. Oh, man. SoFIFA needs to, like, update the birthdays, though, because it sucks, like, having actually <laughs> look – like, oh, yeah, I want to look at strikers under 20 and just, like, 25 years old. I'm like, fuck. Oh, man. Yeah, no, that's been an issue. But anyways, Daniel, thank you, man. Have a good day. Uh, hopefully the Yankees can pleasure. win. Yeah, um, I just want to say one more thing. Uh, fuck Washburn. All right. Sounds here. good. Yeah, guys, here, heard it here first. F Washburn. Anyways, Dob, I'll see you later, man. I'll talk to you another time. Thank you. Yeah, take care, George. Bye-bye. Bye, brother. So the last segment I wanted to bring in before I end the podcast was the six guys that you need to watch out for in D2 and not necessarily the smallest name players. Um, Some of them are big time guys that we watch in real life all the time. And uh, I just wanted to kind of highlight D2 because next week we have the D2 preview show and it makes sense to look at these six players and kind of get some... Uh, some names in your head for who's really going to stand out this D2 season. I know we talked about transfers, and we talked about how guys, when they come into teams, how what, what their impact can be potentially. You know, we for just for example, we talked about um, Arrer, uh, or War, whatever, however you say his name, uh, coming in and joining Lyon uh, in our gaming league. And listen, the kid is fantastic. But our first guy we want you to watch here in D2 is Jamie Vardy from Roma. He comes in from Kashima. He's an 86 overall in the next FIFA. Top end pace at 88 with sprint speed, 86 acceleration. And not to mention, he has 87 shot power. 
In his best position, he's an 86, which is striker, so he doesn't really change there. He could take penalties. He's very composed. His positioning is elite at 92, reactions at 89. Everything that Daniel wanted in a player, he's getting from Jamie Vardy. I mean, no one is doing what Jamie Vardy does right now in the Premier League besides the other elite players, right? Aubameyang, Mohamed Salah, Mane. Those are guys, they're all elite. Harry Kane, these are elite strikers. Um, and Vardy's led them, right? And goals scored in real life. Can Roma really lean on him? Yeah, I think I think they can because he's going to be able to hit guys on the break. And that's exactly how Daniel's going to set up. And listen, I mean, Vardy doesn't have the greatest weak foot. It's at three. He doesn't really juke people. Uh, it's not his game, but he's going to get in behind you. And when he does, his finishing is some of the best in the world. He has a 91 rating there as well. So if you're looking for six players, this is one of them that's really going to stand out. Um, obviously, strikers are a big deal in, D in D2 and just in our league in general. So having a guy that's an 86 overall, really going to help your cause, right? Speaking of guys that uh, <laughs> really kind of take the attention from everyone, um, and, and I don't know if I'm going to have this correctly, but Erling Holland of Inter has, I wouldn't say the most interesting job coming into next season, but he's going to have to make the biggest impact. Um, you know, of, of all the top-end strikers in our league, Erling Holland was probably the most sought after uh, before people realized they weren't going to be able to afford him. Uh, let's be honest. Um, 18 years old, you know, I, I think that that's for him being an 80 overall right now. And in, in this last FIFA, I thought that was pretty accurate, but let's talk about his speed rating. The guy's an 89 sprint speed, 89 shot power. He is the left footed Jamie Vardy, except he is, oh, let me not forget. He is six foot two. <laughs> He's an 81 in his best position, which is striker. Um, his finishing is 86. His positioning sometimes is very indifferent, but it's an 82. Uh, he's not really a penalty taker, but they give him an 80 rating. Um, he's got incredible strength. This is a complete striker, right? I mean, he's only going to get better. And the fact of the matter is he's actually 6'4". I totally had that wrong. So he's even taller. Hopefully heading is better for Inter's sake in the next FIFA. Right, because if it is, then having a guy that's six four that can run past everyone, that can shoot from anywhere, this guy's the next Robert Lewandowski. I mean, easily. I mean, he he literally exemplifies almost everything that Robert does uh, to the T. You know, he maybe isn't the free kick specialist that Lewandowski can be, that leader that uh, he can be, but he's going to get there. I, I, I really think so. And he's the next hot commodity with Sancho and, and Mbappe. Those are the next three, you know, guys, in my opinion, that are really going to take control of the sport uh, once the, the legends retire. So having one of the guys that could possibly take that role if you're inter, I think that's pretty special. Um, I think I like where that's going. And if, uh, if, if I'm Derek, I'm selling high, no matter what happens this season. Uh, the focus will be there, I think, from him. And let's get on to another guy who is joining our league, just like Roma is Inter Miami, and that's Nick. Nick joins us after previously being in the league. He took a, a couple seasons off, and now he's back. And he gets Gareth Bale on loan from Tottenham. Bale kind of bounced around, and now he's back 
in D2. He was previously down there with Man City, then to Chelsea, then the Spurs, and now to Inter-Miami. Inter-Miami will have to deal with a ratings decrease, but you'd have to admit that Gareth Bale going to Tottenham wasn't really something a lot of us expected. And the fact of the matter is, is that even at 30, 31 years old, he could be very impactful. I mean, obviously, we'll, Nick's going to have to deploy him probably at Cam. is might be his best position in-game, even though Sofifa says his best position is the right wing. Nick is going to have to be very flexible, I think, with this player, though, because he's a set-piece p- set disaster for other teams. The guy has 84 jumping. I know his shot power is still going to be there next game. I think his positioning and his finishing will still stay relevant, whether his sprint speed and his stamina get continuous looks. I think that'll be something that gets downgraded, Um, along with probably his defending. His short passing might go down. But it's going to all come down to form with Tottenham in real life. And the the funny thing is, is that Bale might actually be very impactful for a team that needs attacking players. For a while there, I thought Tottenham in real life didn't need more attackers. But with the injuries and the fact that a lot of their guys can't stay fit, even though Bale is injury prone, he does grow the depth of just a bit. And maybe Nick's going to be there to kind of pick up the pieces, whereas Aaron kind of felt like, hey, let me go get Burvine, who is a Tottenham player himself. Let me loan and buy him instead, and then I can loan out Bale. And if no one purchases Bale, I'll have depth. And that's kind of the thinking, I guess, um, out of their camp. And I haven't really talked to Nick about how he was going to deploy Bale just yet, but I really think that having a guy like Gareth Bale is going to be important if you want to get into the top five. And he's easily one of the six players I think you guys should watch out for, no doubt. Let's get on to number four. If I could find my notes. Um, Because the next three are not necessarily strikers. They're attacking-ish players. But the first one is Martin Odegaard. He joins Torino from Augsburg during last season's mid-season window. And in talking to Luis and the times I've played him in friendlies, this team's going to play very quick. They're going to try and open up the play on the counter um, often and early. And... Odegaard's going to be important because he's going to be the guy feeding the passes to Mbappe. And now that he's back at Real Madrid, there is some uh, big census going there, going on there that he could be a very important player for them next season. Obviously, Danny Ceballos went to Arsenal, so that opens up Odegaard in real life to have some chances and and uh, in that midfield, whether it's it's in the attack or even on the outside in the on the wings, which I doubt, but. He showed he was important in the midfield last year on loan, so I think his rating is going to go up. I think his ability to be important for Luis as far as gaming league goes is going to grow substantially. I, I I don't think it's circumstantial that Odegaard has been toted as a good player since he was 15. You know, I know we hype up players a lot, but he stuck true to it. Holling stuck true to it. Sancho stuck true to it. There are guys that are going to be able to live up to it, and Odegaard's one of them. And he joins a list of players on his squad alone that are going to make impacts at young age, at the young ages that they have. And the talent that they have has shown up. Like guys like Trent uh, and Mbappe, of course. But Sané is also on this squad as well, which 
will lead me on to my next player who I will be talking about. But Torino have a ton of guys who are going to make impacts. Odegaard just joins the list, but he might be the X factor in the sense that he's going to have to create a lot. He might have to do some defensive work. Um, and he's going to have to really link the play, I think, at the end of the day, to what is probably the best striker now in the league. Uh, if Mbappe gets going, as far as D2 goes, I mean, uh, he's the best easily. But that's why Odegaard's impact is probably toted on that. If he is good and Mbappe is scoring goals because of him, or even Odegaard is creating plays for everybody else, he might be the most important player on that Torino team, not named Kylian Mbappe. Let's get on to my fifth player. It is Serge Gnabry, an ex-Torino player, going to Bayern Munich and... A lot of people weren't happy with this deal because I think they felt you're getting a young striker back that's 17, 18 years old. And the way that Luis looks at it, he's like, oh, he's going to lead the Dutch line for years to come. Boadu is a good player. I'm not going to argue that. He's going to be very good, I'm sure. But he hasn't shown the same amount of skills and ability that some of the younger players that Luis has bought in the past have gotten. I digress, he has Mbappe to sit behind, so he doesn't really need to be rushed to be played. But Serge Gnabry is an amazing talent and would have made that front three, front four of Torino elite. I mean, one of the best four, front four in, in the league. And one thing that gets downgraded, of course, is the right wing position for Torino. But where it gets added for Bayern is that Gnabry could move around a bit in that attacking midfield Luis so far hasn't really kind of given away what he's going to do with him. He does know that having a midfielder of this quality, though, from what he's told me, is going to make an impact. And he essentially was happy about this deal because it's going to help him get in the top five. And Gnabry is probably going to get an update or an upgrade on, on this next FIFA. And I don't disagree with that. I think that Serge Gnabry is going to be probably one of the best outside mids in the next FIFA and if we're being honest, I mean, this is uh, this is what happens. I mean, some of these deals do happen. We saw last year with the Harry Maguire Gareth Bale deal, and then Harry Maguire being sh shipped back uh, shipped back out um, for Gabriel Jesus, and those are deals that happen. And whether you agree with them or disagree with them, it doesn't matter because the teams have different priorities and right now Bayern just need to get someone that could turn them around and get them back to D1 which is talking to Luis is the goal for his squad I mean this is exactly what he wants to do and I wish him all the luck for it of course and both Luis's <laughs> I guess I should probably clarify Bayern Munich uh, need to make all the deals they can I think to kind of compete um, with D2 because like I've talked about in the previous parts of this podcast and in previous podcasts depth is back you have to be worried about it it's something you're gonna have to be worried about um, because teams are not just settling they are gonna go for it and with the amount of depth you have to add talent and Serge Gnabry is that elite talent let's get on to my last player before we wrap things up and that is Christian Pulisic he comes from Kashima on a deal that sent Gabriel Jesus away and Manchester City are getting a player that if I'm being honest, is going to be of enormous impact. How much is going to come down to, I think, his position and how he's deployed and the system in which follows. If Mike feels that Pulisic should be deployed as, as a left wing or a left mid or even a cam, 
he's going to have to hope that whoever's in front of him is scoring the goals. And I think that's what's going to happen regardless, because you're not going to roll out Pulisic at striker, maybe center forward, but even then that's a push. And I think that you, you might have to worry about it with injuries with him. It's very possible. He might have two stents on the injury, uh, on the injury block, but I'm not saying this is going to totally turn everything around for Man City. They have some good midfielders that are going to be able to play some passes, and but it comes down to the defense at the end of the day for me with this Man City team. Whatever happens back there will pretty much tote their entire existence on how well they do. But one thing's for sure is that Christian Pulisic, at the end of the day, is going to be one of the most impactful players in D2. Regardless of where he sets him up, I think he'll still have impact. Whether he's elite, it comes down to how Mike uses him. But that potential is there, which you don't say with every player that comes down from D1 to D2. But the six I've selected today are all potentially very dangerous characters going into the FA Cup and in the D2 season. Even the VT Cup because of the unexpectedness of FIFA 21. We can't expect it to change too dramatically from FIFA 20, so if we're keeping things that in, in close, I guess, guys like Jamie Vardy, Gareth Bale, Pulisic, Gnabry, they're all going to make their impacts with their pace. They're going to be very dangerous characters. And I, I think, for example, with Pulisic, his versatility could play a big factor for Man City if injuries do occur on other parts of the field. Not many teams get to have that. I mean, if a striker goes down, that's a position that's hard to fill for some people. Center attacking mid, central defensive mid. Those are usually spots guys can't replace right now in our league. I mean, not to mention center back. And though I didn't select any defenders really in this, the attacking players are what, who's going to make the name. Because as long as we don't have the man of the match become an official stat, and it might, but if it doesn't, the attacking players are going to be the focal point of the league. And... The six I've picked today are going to make enormous impacts over the course of the next season in D2. How that shapes up is all down to the managers. I can't wait to see how these six go through the season. Obviously, next week we have the D2 preview show, and I look forward to doing that. <laughs> I, I cannot wait, uh, because I can tell you right now, a lot of guys are not going to be happy where I place them. But there are so many teams now. It's going to be hard to take into account who's going to be able to be the new sheriff in town down there. And as someone who's coming off winning it in a division last season that only had 12 teams, there's potentially going to be a lower point total. There's potentially going to be less goals scored because guys are going to be competing at a level we haven't seen yet. There's depth that we haven't seen for a while. We had 20-plus teams before that dwindled. A lot of guys gave up. Because the connotation of D2 is so negative, but I can assure you, wherever you finish next season, these six guys are going to stand out. And I really hope that no matter what happens next season, we're able to keep as many people as we can. That's just something that I want to say before we even break the podcast and before people even think about it. I hope we could keep everyone because it's not that bad in D2. It's not the end of the world, and you could actually grow a team down there. Anyways, thank you guys for listening as always. I really do appreciate it. Um, next week, we will have the D2 preview show for you. 
I will try and get some managers on there to talk D2. It might be a lengthier episode, but it'll be worth it. I want to thank Daniel for communicating and wanting to do an interview and thank you for getting on the show Andrew Aaron and Joey thank you for helping produce even though you think it's minimal it helps a lot and uh yeah I hope you guys look forward to next week and thank you guys for listening once again I'm George Tello this has been the San Pedro FIFA League podcast